2: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. CTmobile.com.
3: 117106 mobilecom 117-106. Here's DeRozan with a off to Levine.
0: Levine, topside three. <laughs> Got it. Rattle it home on Connaughton. We're back live with more of Anthony Heron and Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station.
1: The Bulls are in, where are the Bulls? Oh my God, they're not where they thought they are going to be. I'll purgatory. That, that That's where are. they are. They're in purgatory. They're in a very bad situation, and uh, rumors today circling the teams are like little vultures just flying above the Chicago Bulls, waiting for them to just implode, and so they can swoop down and snatch up one of our, I don't want to call them big three, but... One of our three best players. One of our three. Yeah, one of our, yeah. one of our that's three. That's
3: quite a visual, by the way. Vultures, I like the visual you painted there yeah. with the Bulls. You know, Bulls are like, you know, a carcass just lying there yeah. lifeless. But yeah. they've, been, they've been just laying there for a minute. They probably got like a sunburn. And chocolates. then you know how like when,
1: when, you, when, you watch, when you're like flipping through like IG or, or TikTok or something like that, like uh, if, if they were to actually do a video, then they'd be like the bogus like imposing of a team's logo on the mm, bird that's actually circling. Right, and right. those birds would be the 76ers. Okay. My friend asked me, he's like, what teams would want to take Zach Levine? And I was like, the Seventy Sixers. where it would work, right? Mm-hmm. And where where it would right. work. And 76ers is one of them. And then I threw out this wild card that when I said it, he was like, Oh, damn, that actually is a really good destination. The Memphis Grizzlies. Okay. A little j yeah. a little John ja Morant, a little Jaron Jackson Jr., and then a little uh little Zach Levine. Mm-hmm. And then I said the the it, the problem is or not problem, but the funniest thing, the ironic thing would be. We'd be trading for a Desmond Bain, who's really good, but he was someone that the Bulls passed up on when they drafted Patrick Williams at number four. Okay. So it's like, do you want that? Do you want that <laughs> kind of, you know, stories or Gabe talking about that on 670 to score? Probably not. <laughs> um, but when you look at everybody else, I mean, there's really not too too many destinations that make sense for a guy like Zach Levine, right? Like in Miami, I, I said he, I said he can't go somewhere where – he's the primary scorer, right? Because then he'll just be back in the Chicago Bulls, right? Mm-hmm. So he'd have to be somewhere where, like, like I said, Memphis, where Ja's the man over there, right? Philadelphia, Joel Embiid is the man. Um, when you're looking at these other teams that he can go to, you know, Brooklyn, New York, Toronto, he'd be the primary scorer in all of those. Uh, he's not going to go to Milwaukee. They got Dame Lillard. He's not going to go to Cleveland. They got uh, Mitchell. Are you
3: eliminating the Lakers? You don't think the Lakers, him going back to, going back to Cali?
1: Cali. Uh, now see, Cali. I don't, I don't think they have enough assets to get him over there. Might need like a three team mm. trade or something like that. Yeah. But the Lakers. LeBron
4: James.
1: <laughs> I just <laughs> saw that a video. It's hilarious. Um, and then, but, but I feel like with you know with LeBron and and AD, he wouldn't be technically the primary scorer, but he would be the primary scorer. LeBron <laughs> is passive, and AD is like, bro, I'll take my shots, but go ahead, Zach, do your thing. Like it would be another one of those situations, and. But I mean, in the end
3: he wouldn't have to be the guy who's making decisions late in game. True. That that would be LeBron. And so if it can be, you know, just talking about L.A., yeah, yeah. if they were able to figure out how to get him out there with LeBron and A.D., then at least going out there. Because Zach Levine, as a main scorer, that's not really his biggest issue. Now, he's, he's not shooting the ball well right now. But when you just look at the scope of his career, his decade in the NBA – he, when he's healthy, is an explosive and efficient scorer. So you add him into a mix where, especially if you got a, a a team with a true floor general like some of these other teams we're talking about, and if you know for the Lakers example, if Zach Levine went out there and he could be a guy who you know LeBron does the bulk of the ball handling, but on a night where LeBron wants to defer a little bit more or just a stretch of the season it was like, you know what, Zach. Go and go off for a few games. Let me just kind of let me play uh, play sidecar for a little bit here. But then late in game, LeBron's gonna have the ball in his hands. Figure out whether or not he's passing it to Zach or driving to the hoop or whatever. That that to me, I think is an ideal scenario because he gets to go back to Cali. He gets somebody else who gets to be the focal point of things. Because I, I think at this point, we can all accept Zach as far as a a championship puzzle isn't a guy who looks like somebody who can be the focal point of a championship puzzle. But can he be? You know sidecar, can he be second fiddle, third fiddle on an, on an excellent team? I, with that kind of talent and that kind of offensive explosion that he can access, where he can go off at 30 or 40 on any given night, you know, there's only so many of those humans walking the planet. So, I mean, I, I think for him as as maybe a third option on a squad, but every once in a while, just go ahead and Go off for 30 or 40 in a night, Zach, and that'll that'll be what's good for us as long as somebody else is making late-game decisions. I don't know why the Lakers wouldn't work for Zach.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, to me, I think a guy like DeMar would be a better fit for that team for what they want to do. I think he he would cost the Lakers less. Because you look at the Bulls, right? And, mm-hmm. I mean, Zach's averaging just under 22. DeMar's mm-hmm. averaging just under 22. Like, th- this team cannot operate like this anymore. Right. But that gives you three-point shooting. Now, DeMar's trying to shoot
3: some more threes this season, which I respect. I respect a guy who gets in his mid-30s and can still look to evolve. So I, I really do like that. And there's, there's a lot to like about DeMar. There's no doubt about that. But as far as somebody who's still – Zach is, what, still late 20s at this point and has always been a guy who can knock down – or at least for quite a while now has been a guy who can knock down threes at a volume clip. So he gives you that. He expands – your offense, you know, beyond the arc in a way that DeMar just doesn't at this point in his career.
1: Yeah, and when you're looking at, you know, Zach, and I feel like he's one of those guys where right now, he's he's like, he's missing his shots, and he's just like, whatever. <laughs> right? But if he was playing on a really good team, he'd probably, you know, be more conscious about, you know, taking high-percentage shots in the, in the right situations. Where right now, like, the last game against Milwaukee, two for ten from the three-point line. Mm. Like, and some of those shots were... My my biggest gripe with, with with Zach, because he can get to the cup and he can make that three and he can, you know, hit the mid-range, is, like, I just wish the offense was designed to get him the ball on the move. Mm-hmm. M- too often you yeah. see Zach Levine get the ball and it's like, all right, it's Zach Levine time. <laughs> and then it's, like, turnover when he gets to the cup or bad pass outside or forced shot where he's like, bro, what the hell, they found me. You know, like, a lot of that. And yeah. I wish, like, he was, like, running off of a screen, starting downhill, right. you know, like a lot of Steph Curry stuff, right? Because Zach is athletic. Zach, mm. Zach can move well, and he can hit that, you know, three off of a handoff because he's, he's done it for this team. But, you know, when you're going five for 19, these are the last, you know, games. Just had, He's only made in his last 10 games, he's only hit over 10 field goals twice. And it's like that That we need Zach Levine to be scoring at a mm. way higher rate than that. And I had asked about that at the beginning of the season that. When I did uh, the Bulls preview show with, with Chuck Swirsky, Bill Wennington, we had Will Perdue on, Alyssa Bergamini. And, and I was like, am I wrong for wanting Zach to score 30 points a game or get as close as possible to that? Because then to me that says that DeMar's taking less shots. The offense is actually operating through Zach or Vooch, in, you know, one of those instances. And they they were all just like, no, we don't want that. That means that, you know, the Bulls offense isn't operating at a high level. But here we are, with like I just mentioned, DeMar and Zach averaging damn near the same same amount. Mm-hmm. And the Bulls are. <clears throat> I, I, everybody's looking at the Bulls like you guys suck. Like this is this is not good. And it was it's. I want to say one last thing. It is. It was unbearable to watch. This is mm. a punch to the gut. The last two games. I agree, Chuck. The last two games, I That'd had to stop watching at halftime. Mm. And I'm a Bulls fan, like a real yeah, Bulls uh, fan. Right. And I'm watching the game, and I'm like, all right, they're gonna lose by twenty, and like the, the offense is bad. There's no ball movement. Like, no one can hit a three. Javon Carter's your best three-point shooter. Like, it, it got bad at some points. Time to go home! <laughs> and it was time to stay home and watch something else. But I'm looking at this team, and I'm like, how much longer can they operate like this?
3: <sighs> we came into the season, like you mentioned, you were on the preview show, but we came into the season knowing there wasn't a big overhaul to the roster. So I, I, I do think, I try to caution some folks, especially the Bulls fans in my life, but I'd to caution folks to not expect things to be that different. Because you look at the, the home stretch last season where Zach Levine was healthy and looked back to being his explosive self and was able to mount some offense individually at times, but it's still not a roster that's constructed very well. It's not a roster that's constructed for group success. You got some individual pieces that feel like they can make sense. Like there's nothing wrong with Nikola Vucevic as an NBA player just in a vacuum. We're just looking at Vooch on his own. There's nothing wrong with Vooch as an NBA player. It's a piece you can do something with. Certainly nothing wrong with DeMar DeRozan in a vacuum. Zach Levine, immensely talented in a vacuum. But for whatever reason, those pieces, when formed together, just have not been able to conjoin in a successful way in their time here together in Chicago. And the numbers back all of that up. So what does it mean the Bulls do? Bulls are in a position over the offseason where – they, they were virtually kind of painted into a corner of, of needing to run that back because they had financial constraints, they had personnel constraints, they had a couple of three-point shooters, three-and-D guy, and let's just see if we can enhance what, what this is right now. And, it, and it's odd because you, you're getting maybe the best version of Kobe, Kobe White that we've gotten, but that's still not a legit, like a high-level NBA point guard. It's a guy who can get you a little instant offense here and there. I think he's playing more dogged defense. Than he has at any other point in his career, so you're seeing a a physically, mentally, emotionally mature Kobe White that is still not a high-level starting point guard in the NBA, and you can probably say some similar things about Ayodele Sumu. We're seeing kind of the the ceiling of Ayodele Sumu to a certain extent here, and you know I just I think the expectations probably needed to be massaged and managed a little bit. Coming into the year. Doesn't mean that 4-7 and seven is, is good enough or acceptable or anything like that. I'm guessing there's going to be a stretch here where they go on a 10-game stretch where they go like 7-3 and three or something like that. Maybe 8-2 mm. depending on what point mm. the schedule is. It, it, it's going to happen at some point in the season because it's the NBA and Levine and DeRozan and Vucevic are talented guys. But in the end, what's that going to get you? They're probably going to be around 500 at the end of the year. They'll be bubblicious, like right there, you know, around that play-in game territory, you know. So that, that This is what we signed up for coming in because they they did very little over the offseason, and all these guys are old enough in their NBA career where you kind of know we, – we've seen for several seasons what this crew has been together, and – to expect it to to feel much different or look much different, I think we, we saw the best that they had down the stretch last year, and it still wasn't quite good enough.
1: Not at all. And you know the assumption was that they get back. I do like the additions of like Torrey Craig, gamer yeah. plays hard. You know I love yeah. that they put him into the starting lineup. You know uh, Carter is obviously a Chicago guy, so he he loves playing for that jersey. We saw how how much how effective that is with guys like Pat Bev last year, but it's just simply not enough. I mean when you watch these other teams in the NBA, they're just different than the Bulls, right? And I think mm. the Bulls, a couple of years ago, you know, they had the sauce with Lamelo Ball, or excuse me, yeah, uh, with a uh, with Lonzo Lomelo. Ball, yep. and I, I feel like you know they, they weren't able to recuperate. I mean, they didn't. They didn't move fast enough in, in that situation.
3: And I, and I agree. And, and what what still eats at me a little bit, and I'm confident it, it still eats at Bulls brass. I'm sure it still eats at Eversley and and uh, and uh, Is just whether or not. This At this point, it doesn't look like this is a squad that's a point guard away from doing anything significant, significant, while at the same time, Lonzo Ball is the only point guard that they've legitimately had since those guys have taken over as the main decision makers for the Bulls. And when he was in there, things were going well. Now, it was a half a season before he got hurt. It's been several years since that's been the case. And they haven't replaced him with any other high-level point guard since then, but... If at least the the roster looked at this point like, man, they're a point guard away, then there would be an ability to go into this offseason and say, well, maybe they can kind of manipulate a little something to, to get some point. Now, I know, you know, and it's, it's credits Alonzo Ball where he's still holding out hope to be able to come back and you know, wish the best for him, for health, for next season and get his career jump started, whether it's here in Chicago or somewhere else. But this still doesn't feel like a team that's a a point guard away from anything. Kind of like with the the Bears scenario. Like, are are the Bears a quarterback away? All right. So you got this, this last seven games to kind of figure out whether it's, you know, the evaluation of Justin Fields, you know, in particular, but then also as Ryan Poles has started to build pieces with that roster, does it end up looking like a roster that's maybe a quarterback away from doing something significant? And that's where for the Bulls as of right now, even with the new shooting coach, it doesn't at the moment here through this initial 11 games, it's not looking like a squad that's a point guard away from doing something significant, whereas a couple of seasons ago, even after the Lonzo Ball injury, you can kind of say, like, all right, it, it kind of felt like that a little bit. You got different guys who are trying to figure out how do we really push pace and advance the ball quickly and still play dogged defense and do some of those things that Lonzo Ball allowed them to do and look like they were becoming, and right now, at least through this early stretch of the season, doesn't look like they're a point guard away from anything significant.
1: Yeah, and that's the biggest issue. And so it's going to be interesting to see what direction this team goes in. I mean, because it's going to get blown up. It's inevitable. They're not going to fix things. They're not going to be some team that's going to, you know, cakewalk into the playoffs. And teams are going to be calling, desperate teams, teams that feel like they're close enough. They feel like they're one piece away from really competing at a high level because the NBA is open. It's wide open, man. There's some good teams uh, so it'll be interesting to see. Who- and
3: the asking price should be high for Zach Levine. I know some of the write-ups out there are kind of a little bit indecisive. about: ah, Are the Bulls asking too much or what's real legit about Zach Levine and how, how much can you really expect to get in return? The, I know he's not shooting it well right now, but, I mean, in NBA circles, it's recognized Zach, Zach Levine is one of the most versatile offensive scorers and explosive scorers in the game. So that, that's, that's not something that you should just give away for, for pennies on the dollar. Someone else, especially if you trade him into a quality situation like some of the ones we've been talking about here, you trade Zach Levine into a quality situation, and he flourishes because you do have a legit point guard somewhere or someone else who can be counted on to make the late game decisions, and Zach Levine is a part of some you know high-level puzzle somewhere because he can, he can just focus on the things specifically that he's really good at then you're, you're really going to be boosting someone. You're going to be bolstering someone else's roster and someone else's championship hopes by adding a, a piece like Zach Levine, a talent like Zach Levine into it. So the
1: asking price should be high. Yeah, that's why, uh, again, I feel like he should. the offense should be running through him. He should be taking more shots, at least while he's here as a member of the Chicago Bulls. But who knows how long that'll be for. Uh, somebody else that might garner a lot of uh, return on the trade market, a guy like Justin Fields. Some people think... The Bears should explore options of trading him heading into next season. And we get to chat about the future of Justin Fields, the present state of the Chicago Bears, with our next guest, uh, Bears beat reporter Alex Shapiro from NBC Sports Chicago, or NBC, excuse me, is going to be joining us uh, after the breaks. So I wonder what he has to say about this Bears team. It's Gabe Ramirez. It's Anthony Heron. It's Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. He's a guy you really like to like.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
5: I played against him in college. I seen him in college. Um, I didn't really get to see him too much in the NFL. But I, I, got we got the matchup in college. So I seen him during college when it was Penn State versus Iowa my last year, I believe. What do you think of him? What was that matchup like? I own that matchup. You can watch <laughs> it on film. It <laughs> was, I mean, they was talking about he was a top tight end when I was at Penn State. And, Man, he was getting smashed. But you now I see he's doing his thing with Detroit. So it's going to be, you know, another one of those great matchups again.
2: We're back live with more of Anthony Heron and Gabe Ramirez on 670 The Score and Odyssey Station.
5: Jaquan
1: Brisker right there hanging out with Bernstein and Holmes uh, right here on 670 The Score. It's Gabe Ramirez, Anthony Heron. Hanging out, we get the chance to talk about a little bit more about the Bears. Specifically that not only Justin Fields, but that defense. Secondary, is cleaning up nicely. Yep. Everybody playing well, and everybody seems to be surprised. Ant. And we're like, "Didn't we say that going into the season that the secondary was the best part of this defense?" And now everybody's like, "Oh my God, the Bears are healthy! Look at them now!" And I'm like, "Yeah, we we knew this. We just were waiting for them to get healthy." Uh, but again, uh, we get to talk uh, talk about that with our next guest joining us on the Circuit Resort and Casino hotline, Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Bears beat for uh, NBC, and of course, host of Under Center podcast. And the last time I saw this guy, Ant. It was, like, 4 in the morning on uh, Columbus Drive right before uh, the marathon. Uh,
4: oh, uh, okay. <laughs> oh, I was like, you know, after a late night, we were no, getting no, no, in. No, no. Just hadn't quite, not quite. Not quite. I haven't quite went to bed. Uh, yeah. okay. I,
1: haven't, I haven't been that comfortable around him in order to ask him <laughs> out to go hang out. Uh, but maybe maybe I'll invite him to my new bar, Roundhouse. now That way there we can go. all have some drinks. Uh, Alex Shapiro. Alex, what's up, man? Thanks for ha- uh, hanging out with us tonight.
2: Gabe Ant, it's a pleasure. I would love to hang out at your bar. That sounds amazing. Are you kidding me? Listen, and then you take a selfie,
1: post it online. It's like free advertisement. Uh Stuff like that. Uh And I got your beers. I got your beers? What do you mean? I'm not not doing that. Uh, But maybe we we won't be watching a Bears game because I know you're working, but you have been watching them incessantly, uh, Alex. Talk to me first of all. Let's go with Justin Fields. I think a lot of people, you know, I've, I've never gotten your opinion of the quarterback. Um, but talk to me you about your excitement or lack thereof of his return to this team.
2: Well, I think he has to be excited just because, you know, this is kind of the last opportunity, in my opinion, to, to fully evaluate this guy, especially since it looks like the bears are going to have an opportunity to get a top tier quarterback with the Carolina Panthers pick. So, I'm excited to see what he can do over the second half of the season. So yeah, like whether he proves he is the guy or whether he doesn't, you, it, there's ton to ton to look forward to over the second half here with Justin Fields.
3: So I think there's a variety of factors in in how an offense gets called and and why Luke Getzey makes certain decisions in game with personnel groupings, formations, motions, like there are all these different things, variety of different reasons why they go for fourth downs and don't. But that being said, in in just sort of paring down the simplest version of when folks might ask me when when Justin Fields looks great and when he doesn't, to me it's called pocket movement. It's calling him into whether it's boots and sprints and QB runs and all these other things that seem to unlock some of the very obvious physical tools that he has with his legs and to me, like that, we saw back to back games of Luke Getsy doing that and the stats back that up. And then we saw that for whatever reason come to a screeching halt against the Vikings and it was a very pocket-based offense for the Bears. And then Justin Fields gets hurt and doesn't finish that game. Have have you gotten to a point as you've covered the Bears and listened to Luke Getze and everything, gotten a a general understanding of, of why, whether it's the early portion of this season and then the the Vikings game What's the difference in his mind in when he's calling Justin Fields into movement and certain games where he doesn't?
2: You know, I really haven't gotten that sense, and I'm with you, because to me it's become clear over the last year and a half. When the Bears want Justin Fields to be the Aaron Rodgers rhythm and timing passer that was so good in those Packers offenses that Luke came from, it's simply not as good as when they have him, as you said, moving the pocket, Going after play action, getting on the run, bootlegs, RPOs, um, and it seemed like last year, over the second half of last year, they they kind of figured that out, and then at the beginning of this year, they kind of reverted and said, "Okay, let's try this rhythm and timing thing one more time to see if it, if we can get them to, to do it well," you know. And in my opinion, it just doesn't play to field strengths, you know. Over the course of the first half of the season for the first time I started questioning can Justin Fields make throws with anticipation, you know, Mm. throwing, making the throw before the guy's out of his break. Uh, We've seen an uptick in trust in terms of like quote unquote NFL open, you know, a guy who looks covered, but just give him a shot like DJ Moore. And he'll probably come down with the ball. I have seen an uptick in that department, but the anticipation that's required for some of those rhythm and timing throws, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about yet. And I am looking forward to seeing if that can take a step forward in the second half of the season. But I mean, Luke Getzey, you adapted your offense last year. You adapted your offense a bit this year. We need to see more of that as well. Play to Justin Fields strengths, you know, Uh, as you said, get him out of the pocket. We saw the bears use play action to great, great success with Tyson (laughs) Bajant. And we just haven't seen that same volume of play action with Justin Fields. And I'm like, why not? You know, it, it, the bears run game is great. He's a threat with his legs. Uh, You know, if you do the play action and then throw the ball, that's obviously great. Or if you do play action into a bootleg and now he's running, that can be great, you know? Um, So yeah, you know, I, I, that's another thing I'm excited to see, looking forward to seeing like, how do the bears readjust their offense now that, Justin Fields is back in the lineup. Can they can they create something that will play to his strengths better than we've seen up to this point this year?
1: And that's what we're all trying to figure out because Lou Getze said, hey, man, this offense is going to be exactly the same. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? Uh, we're talking to Alex Shapiro, Bears beat reporter from NBC Sports Chicago here on 670 The Score, Gabe Ramirez, along with Anthony Heron. Um, to me, when you're looking at this Bears offense, Alex, I mean, it's it's difficult to envision a a successful one with how it's operating in the present. Uh, Does that mean for you that it needs to be a different quarterback under center? Or do you feel like there's other pieces that that need to be uh, different in order for the Bears to have success?
2: Yeah, I don't know. And I think that's what these last handful of games are going to show us. I'm not sure yet if the problem is Justin Fields or if the problem is Luke Getze. And um, I think you can make a case for both, right? I talked about the kind of lacking of the anticipation throws. We've talked about, you know, the kind of confounding offensive game plans that have been put together around fields. So maybe the answer is both need to change, but I don't really, I'm not ready here in November to, to say definitively one way or another but it's clear that there is a problem, right? I mean, they're probably – if if things look the way they do, you know, the, the way they did in the first half, again, these last games, then, yeah, a change will need to be made somewhere.
3: And I, I, I try to assume a level of, you know, kind of logic in, in decisions that get made with these things. And logic is subjective. You know, there, there might be what they view as logical reasons for why the game plan looks a certain way. Uh, But to me, it's so painfully obvious what the strengths of the quarterback are in some of these areas. I agree, Alex, that he has shown some improvement in areas that are obviously deficiencies in his game. But it seems to me that this is a coaching staff that halfway through year two should recognize they do need to win games. Now, what level of confidence or lack thereof would Matt Eberflus have in his job security and Luke Getse have in his job security moving forward? Who who knows? And I, I think that book is still being written here as the season closes out. But uh, I'm wondering how how confident do you believe the coaching staff is in the idea that that they have a a secure situation at the moment coming into next season? The remaining coaches, at least the ones who haven't already gotten gotten ousted for for HR purposes.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to be honest. If I was if I was in Luke Getz's seat right now, if I was in his skin, I would be extremely nervous about my job security. Uh, I think it's clear he. Uh, he needs to show that they can create consistent winning game plans. It built around kind of the identity that's kind of appeared over the past month or so, which is run the ball very physically and then play action. If that translates to Justin Fields and they can keep that going and score points, and win games, then things will be better. But right now I think Luke Getze is the guy who's more on the hot seat than Matt Eberflus. Just because when you look at Matt Iberflus' program as a whole, um, there are certainly negatives, right? There are fair critiques. The penalties, the poor tackling, that goes against the like foundational technique-based program that he wants to build, right? His idea that if we play sound technique, sound fundamental football, we're going to get the most out of their players. So far, that hasn't been the case with the penalties and with the poor tackling, et cetera. However, that's a team that has never folded. You know, they went on an, Awful franchise record, 10 game losing streak last year. And there was like maybe one game that they weren't really competitive in that Lions game. Otherwise they, they never laid down. Uh, The same could be said this year. I mean, the first month of the season was disastrous. Like we can't understate how bad those first four games are, but they came out the other side and they kept fighting and they started to win some games. And over the last six games, they're playing 500 ball. And then most importantly, that defense, which is, Eberflus' side has looked so much better since he's taken over. The uptick in aggression, the blitzing to generate pressure is good. The fact that they've gone from the worst run defense in the league last year to now a top five run defense, to me, is, is remarkable, right? Normally, you think a team goes from bottom of the league to middle of the league, and that's a great step. To go from bottom of the league to top five is, is really remarkable. Um, and then one more thing, I know a lot of people throw the, the win-loss record out when saying Matt Iberflus needs to go. I don't know how fair it is to judge that year one record against him. And I'm not sure how much Ryan Poles and the other people are holding that against him just because they tore that roster to the studs, right? I mean, Ryan Poles comes in. The first thing he does is trade away Khalil Mack, his defense's, defense's best player. And then halfway through the year, they get rid of Roquan Smith. So, you know, Matty Flus didn't necessarily have the tools to win. So, again, like I said, I'm not sure how fair it is to judge that win-loss record from that first season all on Flus, just because, you know, he was playing with, a, with kind of a short deck, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and you'd have to use the same logic for Justin Fields then, if that's the case, right? Not having the talent around them in order to be successful. Not, not me. I'm already. I have my opinion, Alex, on on Justin Fields, but but I I think most people out there, you know, really want to be able to, you know, have a have a well-rounded opinion of what's happening on with the Chicago Bears, but but let's stick with the defense for a little bit. I mean, you've seen Kyler Gordon the first couple of games back. I mean, you know, he didn't necessarily you know jump off jump off the screen, but then these last couple of games have been playing exceptionally well. Um, do me a favor, rank. Rank from your favorite to your least favorite, the secondary for the Chicago Bears. Those four guys.
2: Uh, Five guys. Favorite in terms of, like, the guys who I think are playing the the best level of ball.
1: Yeah, best level of ball. Guys who you'd like to see as cornerstones of the Bears' defense moving forward, seeing as though they're playing at such a high level. You know, you're going to want to see what that looks like.
2: Yeah, I think number one, it starts with Jalen Johnson, you know. I can't praise that guy enough for being, you know, just continuing to be one of the best shutdown coverage corners in the league. Uh, And now that he's added the takeaway portion, he's still in his prime. He's maybe entering his prime, right? Uh, That's rare talent. He's so good. So I would put him number one. Uh, Number two, let's go Kyler Gordon, right? I mean, the difference between last year and this year is so noticeable. He's playing so fast. His instincts, are incredible right he's just got that nose for the football and just seems to always be in on that action and he plays that real physical brand that i know the bears love i know bears fans really love watching um from there let's go jaquan brisker who i think has maybe had a little disappointing of a season up to this point this year i think people expected more takeaways uh maybe a little bit more ball production obviously the the uh the injuries did not help him. And then I'll go Tyreek Stevenson, who has been picked on as all rookie cornerbacks. You know, they all get picked on, right? I mean, we remember that from Kyler Gordon last year. Uh, teams really picked on Kyler Gordon last year. This year, Tyreek Stevenson is kind of going through it. But I think he has the makings of a, of a great cornerstone cornerback as well. I think he's a solid tackler. I was talking with John Hoke uh, a little bit about it, and – team really likes how he's limited explosive plays that, like that's one particular area in which he's grown throughout the year is he's not given up so many deep, deep passes. Um, and then Eddie Jackson, no fault of his own, you know, the foot, the foot just recurred. So again, I love Eddie Jackson. I think he's a great playmaker. He is an X factor when he's healthy and when he's taking the ball away, but for two years in a row now, it's been hard for him to stay on the field. And that has, you know, limited his his impact at the team.
3: I love that you wrote about Cairo Santos on NBCSportsChicago.com because uh, I've been going out of my way to remind folks just to to not underappreciate how well he's performed for the Bears. And, you know, it's kind of the one stretch last season where he, he hit a bit of a lull for a little while, and then immediately as a kicker, you don't get a whole lot of leeway from folks. You start missing a couple of kicks. Everybody's wanting to bring in competition, move on from this guy, and you're just going to keep riding that roller coaster. If you just want to keep cycling through kickers every time a guy misses a couple of kicks, he's come out the other side of that at this point and having an, an exceptional season. But you wrote about what, it, what went into that, in the off season for him in preparing to become the guy we're seeing this year,
2: yeah, absolutely. And you know, we were talking about Jalen Johnson being deserving ex- deserving of a contract extension. I think Cairo Santos is right there. You know, that is another guy who should probably get signed to new money. Um, so the deal with the with the extra points, the way he described it, is he had this visual tick in his setup when he was approaching the ball. So they moved it from to a, to a different spot uh, to to try and eliminate that visual tick. And now that he's made those changes, kind of moved where he sets up the ball, uh, he says that's gone. It's totally in the past. He's completely confident. And obviously he's been great. He's only missed one extra point. Um, And then I noticed early in the year that he was just booming kicks and warmups, like 60 yarders and stuff like that. So I asked him about, you know, leg strength, this and that. Is he hitting the gym, et cetera, to, to boot it farther? And he said, yeah, a little bit. But really what he's focused on is improving his ball striking. And, you know, he realized like, yeah, when I try and muscle it a little bit, it's not as effective as when I just hit the ball perfectly. So that's what he did. He just went into the lab and just perfected his ball striking so that he hit it super cleanly, super consistently. And when he did that, that added a ton extra distance so now you know that was always kind of a knock right okay he's super accurate but plus 50 we don't know you know he didn't get many opportunities plus 50 but now he's drilling 53 yarders 54 yarders like it's nothing and yeah like you said having a reliable kicker like that is just so underrated we see it all across the nfl that kicks just aren't a given Bears fans should know better than anybody, you know, kicks aren't a given. There was a long time, a long period in between Robbie Gold and Cairo Santos now where the team just couldn't find that guy. Um, and now they've got him. So, yeah, in my opinion, they should probably keep him.
1: Yeah, we know how important kick it can be. We saw Will Lutz almost lose the game just the other day, and obviously uh, he got another chance to make the best of that. Uh, but you know what, Alex? You just kicked a 63-yarder in your segment right here. It was absolutely phenomenal, man. Uh, we appreciate you hanging out with us tonight. Have a great one.
2: Appreciate you too, Gabe and Ant. You have a great rest of your night. Alex, Thanks, Alex.
1: Shapiro, Bears beat reporter for NBC Sports Chicago, hanging out with us. Also host of the Under the, Under the Center podcast. Make sure you guys uh, check that one out as well. Uh, it's Gabe Ramirez. It's Anthony Heron. Uh, on the other side, we uh, I, I wanted to, because we're going to be talking to Andy Martinez at the top of the 8 o'clock hour, uh, Ant, and I wanted to play the cut of Ozzie Guillen talking about Craig Council Ooh. and what he thought about him uh, in, in, in comparison with, with David Ross. Uh, so we'll play that and react to it on the other side. It's Gabriel Ramirez, Anthony Heron, right here on The Score.
3: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medella is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward.
4: Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
5: I was shocked not because they hired our counsel. I was shocked because they fired Rossi. Ozzy
1: Ginn speaking his truth. Actually, I should just say Ozzy again speaking because that's all he does, right, is speak his uh, truth. It's Gabe Ramirez, Anthony Heron here on 670 to score. And that's that's exactly what I wanted to chat about. We're going to be talking to Andy Martinez from the Marquee Sports Network, one of my favorite Cubs minds to talk to. Just super, super knowledgeable, knows the organization from the very bottom of A all the way to the top. I mean, he's just an almanac with that stuff. So I'm excited to talk to him. But it was interesting, right, And to hear you know, Ozzy talk about Do you think he, he felt that way because he felt like he was doing a good enough job? Or do you feel like he kind of was internalizing a little bit of that, like being the the guy from the team that gets let go, you know, uh, without warning?
3: Uh,
1: Both things could probably
3: end up being a a factor there. And uh, Craig Council is obviously an an exceptional manager who's won big at the major league level for a while here in Denzel, right here in this region. So there's so many things about the hire that make sense. But my impression is that, you know, Ozzie didn't – he was basically trying to make the case, almost like what we've been trying to remind folks about the, the discussion at quarterback for the Bears, Justin Fields and Tyson Bajan. You know, if, if you want to tell people, like, you know, you don't have to act like Tyson Bajan is about to enter the Pro Football Hall of Fame. <laughs> yes, he, he did well. He's done some nice things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's definitively the guy who gives a, the Bears a better chance to win than Justin Fields. It also doesn't mean you're anointing Justin Fields. Like, everybody can be viewed within their own context. And my, my impression of what Ozzie said is that viewing David Ross in his context, he's been a guy who's handled the locker room at a really high level, well-liked by his players, and showed the ability to grow as he got more experience on the job and showed the ability to grow with that squad in, in the way he led the Cubs last season as they started to resource the team a little bit better. That David Ross was able to win at a higher level. Yes, it tapered off at the end of last season. But I think he he went on to kind of explain, like this, you know, Craig Council is a good manager who's won a lot, hadn't won a World Series, though. So by comparison... Yes, he's done more over a longer period of time than David Ross has as a manager, but I think his basic point is that David Ross is also a quality manager and, you know, uh, until further notice is not not definitively some sort of big upgrade, a sizable upgrade from Counsel to Ross. Now, I think, you know, one resume speaks for itself for what Counsel has got done, but you know, it, I think Ozzy knows it as well as anyone like a, a manager, the impact that a baseball manager has game by game is different than it is in some other sports here so i didn't take it as much as a you know as any kind of like an anti-craig council point as much as a you know david ross has done some nice things here once they started to give him some more to work with so there's a good chance the cubs may have been fine even with
1: rossi continuing on without making this move right i agree with you and right it was it was certainly from that from that angle and i think that You know, let's not forget, you know, you brought it up, right? Clearly he was given more talent uh, this last year than he had ever been given. And he, you know, got as close as he possibly can get. No one came into the season thinking the Cubs were going to make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Right? So the fact that he got them that close, it was by just a couple of games, which if you go back and you look at it on a micro level and say, okay, well, I can point to eight games that we should have won, so therefore we shouldn't have been in this position. And had I have a different manager there, you know, there'd be a different outcome. The problem is this and this goes back to what you said about giving Rossi the talent, Cody Bellinger's not necessarily a member of the Chicago Cubs heading into next season, right? right? Marcus Stroman's, you know, hot start that propelled the Cubs to that conversation, you know, he potentially is not going to be here next year as well. So mm-hmm. there is a possibility that Craig Council inherits a team that is inferior in talent to yeah. the one that Rossi had last year. It's not not a certainty, right? Clearly, management is trying to do everything in their power to, to build – to, to to build that roster up and give council the best opportunity to win. But but that's what I thought was interesting about Ozzy again. and when talking about Craig council, he and I shared the same sentiment that like it, it doesn't matter because he's going to have to win now, and
5: you know, we better win because when you bring Joe Madden, I remember when they bring Joe, you know, Joe got the credential, went to the World Series, do the stuff, uh managed it for a long time. Uh did it with a team, never nobody told you gonna to do it with Tampa. Uh, Cosa did a tremendous job of his career with Milwaukee. Like a 707 win with 625 loss. He was uh, second place three times. He's a manager of the year. Uh, finished, win the division, I believe, three times. You know I mean, he did a good job uh, with they have. Not because they say, oh, we had a bad team. Not because the market in Milwaukee, it was, uh, it is very low. You know, it's not an impact uh, organization on ball club. We expect to win every year. And that's why i got to give him a lot of credit because he do something I never, nobody thought they were going to do. Now they're going to be in the biggest market, biggest media, uh, the biggest career side in baseball like we are. I love it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> hopefully they hopefully come down and did a good, you a know, better job. And, the, the, you know, Rosie did. Uh, how good it going to be? is depending depending what kind of ball club they're going to have. I remember when they hired Bochi, I was sitting with my kids. I said, Bochy will win the World Series or be fighting for the World Series of War. They go, what? I said, watch. Bochi's not going to go to Texas just because the money, because it's – I think they're going to put a boot, great ball club for Bochi right up front of them, and, and I think that's the, the same stuff they're going to deal with constantly in Chicago.
1: And he's gonna be dealing with the same pressures. And that's what he was really talking about in the whole thing as he as Ozzy was talking to Mully and Haw uh here our morning show on six seventy to score. It was that the pressure is going to exist for him to win now.
3: As it should be. And, you know, he didn't necessarily try to move the move the goalposts on that too much and, and say that the sh- the expectation shouldn't be there, but did say, you know, it feels close. It feels close, but not there, you know, not that we're at the finish line yet. I mean, I think your your observation about the roster is a really good one because he, he could on opening day. We'll see. Obviously, the expectations <laughs> right. that the Cubs are going to make some moves, but until further notice, you could have a roster that is not as talented as the one that David Ross was managing last year. So how big of a difference do, does Craig Council make if that's the case? You know, if you still don't have – Multiple frontline starters. If you are missing a big bat in your lineup, and you know if your if your defense is depleted as well, there are several things that can end up feeling different for the Cubs from a depth of roster perspective. That maybe they're not as talented going into to next season. Again, the expectations they're they're about to spend because they've reportedly put this historic contract in place for their new manager. So if you're gonna spend on him. There's no reason to think, you not know, because in the end, again, baseball is the main sport that most folks look at and say the, the manager, the skipper, the head coach, that position in baseball impacts winning and losing at a lower rate than other sports. So if that's the case and you're willing to put the historic contract into your skipper, there's no reason to think the Cubs aren't going to put some additional resources into this
1: roster. They're going to have to, right? And I got to say, Skipper is the best synonym for coach and, <laughs> that exists, that does not exist in any other sport, right? Like, what else do you call a football coach, right? Like, Skipper is a manager in baseball, but like, uh-huh. I'm thinking like basketball and football, you don't. there's no other like right. term. There's no other like descriptor.
2: Yeah, that's them. awesome. Skipper. I am not a coach. I'm the skipper. <laughs> See?
1: Oh, Dustin <laughs> Rhodes right there. Love that. Uh, all right. Um, but who are some names that could be making their way to the north side? To help the new manager of the Chicago Cubs, will it be a, a, a repeat like a Cody Bellinger, or are there going to be some other names? Andy Martinez from the Marquee Sports ne- Network uh, will tell us next. Don't go anywhere. It's Gabriel Ramirez and Anthony Heron on six seventy The Score.